Well, today we are starting a series that I'm excited about because I think it's appropriate as we begin a new year and we kind of think about reprioritizing our lives. But before we get into the, the series itself, let me begin by admitting something that, that probably some of you already know. I am not the most emotionally vulnerable person. Uh, now, part of that is my personality. Part of that is, I don't want to put it on my parents, but part of it is just kind of the, the you know, the, the, the nature of, of growing up with the misperception. Again, my, I don't think my parents instilled this into me, but um, just the, the misperception that somehow if you're a guy, that, that you're just kind of supposed to keep your emotions in check, right? And there's a lot of you guys, I'm sure, that grew up uh, with, with, with the same kind of thought process. And I'm working on it. I'm getting better. Uh, Marcy will probably say I'm, I'm, I'm not there yet, but I, I'm at least working on it. And so I was kind of interested, though, when I came across an article in GQ uh, written by a woman uh, with the intent of helping men to know when it's acceptable for a guy to cry. For example, she says, if you're a guy, it's okay to cry if you're in extreme pain. Like, for example, if a piano falls 50 stories on your foot. So you're okay if, if a piano falls 50 stories on your foot, it's okay to cry. Um, uh, she also says uh, it has to be at least eight on the pain scale. So seven, not okay. Eight on the pain scale, you know, the one you see at the doctor's office then it's okay uh, to cry. Uh, she also says it's okay to cry at certain films. Like, for example, she says, if you didn't get a little misty-eyed at Toy Story 3, then you're just a monster. Something's wrong with you. I would also say for a guy, it's okay to cry at Old Yeller, uh, The Green Mile, Remember the Titans, and probably Hoosiers. Those are, those are okay to cry. There, there's some that are definitely off limits, but those are, those are not. Uh, she also says it's okay to cry when uh, you hold your newborn baby, and I would certainly agree with that. There is no shame uh, in that. What about sporting events? She addresses those because, guys, you know, we, we, we really get invested in our sports, so, so is it okay to cry about sports? She says only if you're actually on the playing field and only if your team won. If your team lost and you cry, that's just whining. You can't cry if, you, if your team lost, and you can never, ever cry as a fan, she says, here's what she goes on to say, your only feat of athleticism was waving over the nacho guy with a $10 bill. So again, not okay to cry if your team loses. Sorry, all you Lions fan. I know there's a lot to cry about, uh, certainly after this year and not just this year, I guess we could throw that in there. And then finally, what about arguments? She writes, sorry guys, but crying during an argument is kind of our thing. It's up to you to keep it together. Scientific fact, women have shallower tear ducts. Now, obviously, the article is tongue-in-cheek, but here's the reality. In this upcoming year, man or woman, you will encounter an acceptable occasion to cry, and probably more than once. Because following Jesus, despite the distorted depiction that you sometimes see and media and TV of Christianity suggests that Christians don't have problems and following Jesus makes all the pain go away. The reality is that following Jesus doesn't mean that you suffer less, but it does mean that you can suffer better. A short passage is going to drive our thoughts, most of our thoughts today. It's found in James Chapter one, we actually just talked about this a few weeks or a few, a couple months back as we walked through our James series, but I want to kind of look at it again, maybe with some fresh eyes and with a little bit different uh, take on some things. And so James, the brother of Jesus, 
says this, writes this, starting in verse 2, James chapter 1. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, literally patient endurance. But let patience have its perfect work so that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. So I thought at the beginning of this new year, at the start of a new year, it might be good, it's always good, but it might be good to rethink our priorities. And for the next few, and so for the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be in a series called What Counts? What Counts? And we're going to be looking at what does God's word say really counts? How can we, we make life and the things that we go through and the things that we, that we run up against, how can we make it count? What does it mean? What, what, is it, what does the Bible say really counts? Because it really matters how you decide what really matters, especially if you're dealing with difficult matters. And as we're going to look at today, the Bible says your suffering counts. James has two life principles in this short passage. One is inevitable and one is an option. Here's what's inevitable. James says you can count on trials. You can count on trials. He doesn't say if you encounter trials. He says when you encounter trials because you will. Dealing with trials and adversity and pain and suffering in this world is not an elective course. It is a required course for each and every person. Now, James is talking about trials that we encounter. He's not talking about trials that we create. And if we're just being honest, some of the trials and the pain we face in our lives is a result of, of some of the things that we've done and decisions that we've made. It's a result of our own actions. The Bible says we reap what we sow. And the reality is that for a lot of us, some of the pain and some of the trials that we're going through in our lives are because of what we've sown in our lives. We've created some of the mess that we're in. But no matter how much you try to follow Jesus and do the right things and line your life up with God's will, you will go through seasons of suffering and pain that are out of your control. Because we live in a fallen and cursed world, and we're not immune from the effects of the fall. The way things are is not the way things is not the way God created them to be, and they're not the way things are going to be when Jesus comes back, but that's how it is now in the world that we're living in now. We live in a fallen and cursed world, and we have not yet received our immortal resurrection bodies. And so forget that that misconception, that distortion that we sometimes see, that sometimes people have about Christians, that somehow Christians don't suffer or they don't, they don't cry, they don't have hard times. Christians suffer. Christians cry too and, and should. There's plenty of times that, that we should cry over things. It's not that we suffer less, but again, it's that we can suffer better. And forgive the pun, but it's hard for me to suffer a Christian who acts like they never suffer. And the reality is that the world is well served by followers of Jesus who have de decided to suffer well. Because you can count on trials. That is inevitable. But here's the option. Will you make your trials count? You can count on trials, so make sure that you make your trials count. Trials are not always caused by God or by Satan, but trials can always be used by God and by Satan. And the outcome is often going to depend on your outlook. 
Look again at verse 2 from a different translation. When troubles of any kind, of any kind, come your way, consider, now that's a choice, consider, consider it an opportunity, Paul says, for great joy. The word consider comes from the Greek word, uh, uh, Greek world of finance. It means to, to count, to evaluate, and to determine the actual worth of something. And so James is saying, suffering is a given. There's no way around it. Suffering, pain, trials, adversity, those are all given. It's not an elective course. It's a required course. Those things are going to happen. But the option is whether or not your suffering will be a gift. What's not up for debate is whether or not in this upcoming year you will experience pain and adversity and suffering and trials. But what is on the table, though, is whether or not the pain you experience will be transformative. One of the most prominent British evangelists of the last century was a man by the name of William Sangster. At the age of 58, he was diagnosed with a disease that was progressive and debilitating and ultimately terminal as it took his life just two and a half years later. But he made four resolutions when he got that diagnosis that he kept to the day that he died. One, I will never complain. Two, I will keep the home bright. Three, I will count my blessings. And four, I will try to turn it to gain. Because counting is a choice. Consideration is a determination. And so when you can't make it go away, will you make it count? And I want to give you three questions that come out of our text that I think can help us do just that. Here's the first. When you go through those seasons of suffering and pain in your life, ask yourself, how can I learn? How can I learn? What, excuse me, what can I learn? Because when we suffer, the first thing we want to know is why. We want to know why. That's one of the first questions we ask. And listen, God is big enough to handle your why questions. God is big enough to handle our doubts. He's big enough to handle our complaints. I mean, just read through the Psalms sometimes and you'll realize God is plenty big enough to handle those things from his people. He's big enough for his people to say, why God? How long God? Where are you, God? God's big enough to handle those questions. But let me be clear. The enemy of faith is not doubt, okay? I, I wanna be very clear on that. The enemy of faith is not doubt. Oftentimes the enemy of faith is unexpressed doubt, that we don't express it, that we don't lay it at God and surrender it, lay it at God's feet and surrender it to him. But as we express our questions and our whys, let's be careful that we don't cross a line where we almost put God on trial. God is not in need of justification for what he does. We are. And God doesn't have to run the universe in a way that makes sense to us. He doesn't have to explain his sovereign choices. That's part of the theme of the book of, of Job. You get to the end of that book, and, and there's plenty of questions of why from God, but you get to the end of that book, and, and Job crosses a line with his whys. And finally, God just says, don't, don't tell me how to run the universe, okay? Yeah, I, I can handle the whys, but, but don't try to tell me how to run the universe. You see, even when we're in those tough times, God says, I've given you enough good things to remember that you can trust my goodness. Even when you can't understand, you can trust my character. And let's just be realistic. I think enlightenment as a pain reliever is really overrated. 
I mean, enlightenment in terms of knowing the why in the midst of our pain really is overrated as a pain reliever. It's simply not true that if you just know, knew the why as to why you were going through such a hard season or why you were experiencing this trial or this adversity or this pain, that somehow you'd feel better, right? We think that somehow knowing the whys will make us feel better, and that's just not true. Knowing why doesn't really make the hurt or the struggle less painful or make you less fearful or make you less stressed or make going through it any easier. Knowing why is really overrated as a pain reliever. And there's something better than gaining an answer to why. And that's gaining wisdom. I think it's interesting that right after James says, let your trials be a source of joy so that you can mature, right after that, he says this in verse five. He says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. You know, when people go through tough times, one of the things I often hear people say is, do you think God is trying to teach me something? Let me answer that question. God is always trying to teach you something, okay? Whether it's a trial or a triumph or anywhere in between, God is always trying to teach you something. But the truth is, it's in the classroom of suffering that we're often most teachable. I was just reflecting this last week on on some of the things that people have told me the most when they're in a season of suffering and pain and trial, just about what they've learned, about what they've gone through. And almost always I hear things like this. Suffering taught me to rely more on God. When I wasn't going through that trial or that adversity, I I, I thought that I was self-sufficient. And going through that suffering taught me to rely more on him. Suffering suffering taught me to, to put more value on my relationships, I often hear people say. My pain has reminded me that what matters the most are the people that I love the most. Suffering gives us insights into the gospel. Suffering teaches us the difference between happiness and joy, between the kind of feeling that you get when everything works out right and and, and just the way that we want it to, and the kind of deep-seated joy that is the product of the Holy Spirit in our lives that doesn't come and go according to what's happening to us. Suffering teaches us to reprioritize our lives, but maybe most of all, suffering, suffering helps us Learn to keep eternity in view. The Apostle Paul said to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I consider, there's that word again, I I evaluate, I reflect, I determine, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that that will be revealed in us. Because suffering, it it, it may not seem like it is, but suffering is temporary. And you... Are not. And anything we go through that intensifies our hope and our longing for resurrection should be counted as a blessing. Because you don't always get to choose your pain, but you always get to choose what you're going to do with it. What can I learn from this is a powerful and transformative question. Here's another one How can I grow? How can I grow? 
James says, count it joy because this is an opportunity for you to become more mature. Now, the thing is, James is assuming that us being more mature is a goal for our lives. He, he assumes that that's what we want. And on the surface, I think we do on the surface. And so if I said, how many of you one year from now, one year from today, if Jesus doesn't return, how many of you want to be more spiritually mature than you are right now? All of us would raise our hands, right? All of us would say, of course, we want to be more spiritually mature one year from now today than we are uh, right now. And yet our prayers often speak otherwise. Lord, I, I want to grow and I, I want to be like Jesus. Help me to be like Jesus. But also, Lord, I want you to take away all my problems and fix all the people that I don't like and make all the tough times go away. So what do you really want most? Increased comfort or developed character? Because usually to have one, you have to forfeit the other. Almost three decades ago now, in the early 90s, there was an interesting science project done in Arizona called the Biosphere. And they built this huge, gigantic dome, and they put inside it many, uh, several mini environments, um, like a desert, uh, a, a rainforest, even an ocean. And they put these scientists in there to live for two years and just kind of study what, you know, what the effects would be in this perfect, pristine environment with perfect, pristine conditions. And one of the most profound discoveries they made was not some cure to some illness or um, you know, anything like that, but actually one of the most profound discoveries they made was in regard to trees, of all things. They noticed that the trees grew more rapidly inside the dome than they did outside the dome, but the trees inside the dome also fell over before reaching maturation. They couldn't develop properly as they began to grow. And if they studied the root systems and the bark on the outside of the trees, bark layers on the outside of the trees, they discovered that the lack of wind, there was actually no wind in the biosphere, that the lack of wind kept the trees from developing strength that they needed to bear the weight of the growth. And so they just fall over. The trees needed that wind. They needed that resistance to build up strength to withstand the growth. Otherwise, they would just fall over. Now, you know this in life. Resistance builds strength. If you go to the gym and you want to get stronger, what do you do? You put more weight on the bar, right? Because resistance builds strength. The greater the resistance, the greater potential for developing strength. And what's true in the world of nature and what's true in our own biology is also true in the spiritual realm as well. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. He says, we can rejoice. That sounds a lot like James. Count it all joy, right? We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Why? Because we know that they will help us develop endurance. Now, why does that matter? Because endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And you know this is true, right? I mean, think about the people who have mentored and helped you the most in life. Who are the people that you admire the most? Are they the people who never had problems? Or are they the people who weathered the problems and finished well? So what is your highest value? Comfort or character? There's a man who writes often for the New York Times by the name of David Brooks, and he, I don't know if he's a Christian, he doesn't write as a Christian, 
per se, but a lot of what he writes kind of has a, a Christian undertone or a Christian underpinning to it. And uh, several years ago, he wrote an article about our Christians, uh, or excuse me, our culture's worship of happiness. Just that, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we've, we've taken that to a worship of happiness level. And, and so here's what he wrote. I, I, I love this. It's so profound. He said, we live in a culture awash in talk of happiness. In one three-month period last year, more than 1,000 books were released on Amazon on that subject. And yet, when people remember the past, they don't only talk about happiness. It's often the ordeals that seem most significant. And I love this last line. People shoot for happiness, but feel formed through suffering. People shoot for happiness, but feel formed through suffering. And I think in many ways, that's what the Apostle Paul would say. I think if, he's, if he were standing before us right now and he were speaking to us, I think he would tell us that the trial he wanted the least is what formed him the most. Paul had a trial. They called it the thorn or a thorn in the flesh. It was probably, we don't know for sure, but it was probably some kind of physical condition or problem that he had to deal with. And it made his life difficult. And here's what he said about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. He said, three times, over and over again, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. You ever been there? You ever been there? Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, God didn't rebuke Paul for asking for it to be taken away. But God said, Paul, I want you to grow anyway. Because the, only, the, the reality is that the only way that you and I can truly experience the sufficiency of God is when we go through seasons in our lives where we are totally aware of our own insufficiency. You see, God doesn't simply give you strength instead of weakness, but rather he gives you strength in the very midst of your weaknesses. So that when you are squeezed by life, what's inside of you is gonna come out. And what comes out is the character of Jesus. And instead of being counted out, you actually become somebody, somebody that can be counted on. Because the last and final powerful question you can ask yourself in a season of suffering is, who can I bless? Who can I bless? You see, suffering is going to want to make you uh, be, be self-centered. It's going to make you want to turn inward and just think about yourself. But one of the beautiful things about being an engaged member of the body of Christ is that you don't have to suffer by yourself. You don't have to go it alone. The Bible says we weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice too, but we also weep with those who weep. And when you have one of those times where you feel like crying, you don't have to cry alone. That's one of the reasons why it's so important to develop those relationships. And I know it's been hard, you know, during this time that we've been in for the last several months, almost a full year now, where we've been, you know, separated in many ways from each other. But that's why it's so important, even in the midst of that, to cultivate those relationships with other Christians. Because following Jesus is not a solo journey. It's a team sport and we need each other. And not only will the Holy Spirit empower you in community to receive ministry from others, but the Holy Spirit is also gonna empower you in community, even in the midst of your pain, 
to minister to others. You probably heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people. And that is true, unfortunately. But here's the other side. Hurt people are often the very best to help people. I read an interesting study about people dealing with multiple sclerosis, MS. They took 132 people who were dealing with and suffering from MS and they put them into two separate groups. And so in one group, they taught them kind of life coping skills. How do you deal with certain aspects of MS? How do you deal with just day-to-day life dealing with MS? They just taught them coping skills. And in the other group, they received a visit once a month from someone who had MS, who had been trained to encourage others who had MS. And so one group taught them life coping skills. In the other group, they, they sent them people a visit once a month from people who had MS to help others, to help other, encourage others who had, who were dealing with MS, other MS suffers. So the question is, which group did better? Well, their study concluded that neither did significantly better than the other group, but they did find, here's the interesting thing that they found. The people who had been trained to encourage and who were the ones doing the encouraging did a lot better. The conclusion of the study was this, that giving support improved health more than receiving it. In fact, one researcher said it was like they went through a spiritual transformation. And this shouldn't be surprising to us because we are made in the image of God. And we are at our fullest and best self when we live out who God has made us to be. And God is not a taker. God is a giver. God is a replenisher. God is a, 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 an encourager. God is a, a dispenser of mercy and grace and life. And when we live most true to who God made us to be, we are at our best self. And so Paul could say in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all our comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that, listen to this, so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given to us. And so a good prayer for us is, Lord, how can this trial expand my heart's capacity to love other people? What can what I'm going through do to help me love people that are going through it too? Perhaps what you're going through is preparing, is preparing you for what God is going to call you to do. What if it's your weakness that God wants to use to be your witness. You see, we all have a story. And at some point, your story is going to be told. And that story will include the hard seasons in your life. And will it say that season got the best of them? Or will it say that season brought out the best in them? The choice is up to you. My prayer is that for me and for you, it'll be option number two. That we will surrender our suffering to God who may not always remove it, but he will always redeem it. And you can count on God to make your suffering count. 
You can trust his character and you can trust that he will grow your character. And I know this to be true because the God that I'm talking to you about is a God who understands suffering. Not theoretically, but personally. He didn't stay detached from pain, but he came into this world in the person of Jesus and he entered literally into pain. We worship a God who still has scars on his body. He knows what to do about suffering. And let me show you what he's going to do about suffering. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He writes, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. And listen to this. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring, and you think he's going to say God here, right? You think that he's going to say it will bring God. But listen to what he says. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor when on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the entire whole world. On that day when every knee shall bow, you're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to say, thank you. I never let go of you, but you never let go of me. Thank you. I'm proud of you, not because you suffered less, but because you suffered better and you made me look good. And so if you can't make it go away, Make it count. What can I learn? How can I grow? Who can I bless? Three prayers. They're really simple. Teach me. Grow me. Use me. And no matter what we may be going through today, may those be our prayers today.